0: And many days during my lunch break, I would turn on my radio and listen to Paul Harvey. You'll remember Paul Harvey. I think he had a 15-minute uh, thing at, at noon and always enjoyed that. But he also had that segment that he, that he did, um, I believe, beginning in 1976 all the way to um, 2008, um, well, his son wrote the segment, but nobody could deliver it like Paul Harvey Sr. But Paul Harvey Jr., I read, is the one who put all of those and the rest of the story together. And Now you know the rest of the story. I titled the message this morning from Genesis chapter 9, The Rest of the Story. Noah was a man who found favor in God's eyes. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, the scripture says, he was a righteous man. In a world that had gone totally corrupt, he remained faithful to God. It was corrupt to the point that God said, I'm going to wash the earth clean. I'm going to eradicate every living creature except the ones that I put in the ark. And Noah and his family. Noah built an ark, faithful to the task for 120 years. And the scripture says, and he did just as the Lord told him. He did what the Lord commanded. Several, about four or five times we read that. And he did as the Lord commanded. Noah and his crew spent a year and 10 days in that floating (coughs) ark. (coughs) Excuse me before they were able to disembark. And the first thing he did when he got off the boat was lead his family in a worship service. Offered sacrifices unto the Lord. And because they came from a heart that was righteous, it was a sweet-smelling fragrance in the nostrils of God. God blessed them. God sealed the covenant that he had stood, and and even broadened that covenant that he made with them before the flood. And... Then he commanded them to replenish the earth, to multiply. Oh, and I almost forgot. And he put his bow, his bow in the sky as a covenant promise. He would never again destroy this planet and the people on it with a worldwide flood. He didn't say there wouldn't be floods, but he said, I'll never destroy the world. And that rainbow, we talked about the fact that rainbows rainbow is around the throne of God. So every time you see a rainbow, I want you to think about the throne of God, the presence of God. He's close. He invites me to come to His throne and to talk to Him and to cast all my cares upon Him. He's not forgotten us and He never will forget us. We're going to begin in verse 18 today as we come to the final chapter's synopsis of Noah's life, the end of the chapter, he's buried. But verse 18 said, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. What these two verses tell us it's very important. These are the kind of verses that you just kind of read over, no big deal. But I want you to see this. Everyone on the planet can trace their family tree back to one of these three men. Every ethnic group, every nation, every person. We would trace ourselves back on your family tree What's that website you can go to? If they take it back far enough, you would find out that most of us are probably descendants of Japheth. And I'll talk more about that next Sunday, I think. i am lay that out. The sons of Noah. There were only four men who survived the flood, four women. And it does not appear that Noah and his wife had any more children than these three. But God blessed the younger couples with many children who had many children who had many children who had many children. And on and on and on until today there's 7 billion of us living on the planet. Be fruitful and multiply. Verse 20 said this, Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. And thus begins the rest of the story. There's obviously been some years roll off the calendar since they got off the boat, offered their sacrifice. Noah's sons have all had sons. And the one that is mentioned twice already, Canaan, is the fourth son of Ham. So time has gone by. Enough time has gone by that Noah was able to plant a vineyard, I don't think grapes come on the first year that you could really make wine from. From what I understand, it takes several years of nurturing those grapevines till you get to the point where you can have some good wine. I know nothing about drinking wine. That's just what I've read. Okay. Um, Noah, the man Scripture says was blameless in his generation and walked with God. Hebrews tells us he was an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. The story of building the ark tells us three times that Noah did exactly as the Lord commanded him. He was the most righteous man of his day. So much that God preserved him and his family from the devastating judgment that was meted out on every living and breathing creature. But now we see the hero of our story. Noah was passed out drunk and naked. He was passed out drunk and naked. Now I've been in church a few days. I started attending church here in 1952. Yeah. I've heard lots of preachers talk about how Noah ended up being drunk. And I've heard several of them, I've read several of them in the commentaries, they want to give him a real break and say that he didn't know that grapes would ferment and become alcoholic because the atmosphere changed after the flood. And I say, not likely. Not likely at all. But they're trying to, you know, he was a righteous man. Surely he wouldn't get drunk. As I read the scripture, it just says he drank too much. He drank too much. Now, these people said he didn't know what was going to happen to him, and so it just came on him. Um, But the way that Moses records this story and the son goes out and says, Dad's drunk. And the other brothers respond the way they responded. That tells me that they were somewhat familiar with the effects of alcohol. He was drunk. So drunk that he disrobed himself before he passed out, and there he is laying in all of his glory. Now, while the Scripture, in several places, um, advocates the drinking of wine, for example, Psalms 104 would tell us that wine is the blessing of the Lord to gladden the heart. Deuteronomy 14 would say the same thing. Paul said to Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Wine was part of the worship experience. When they brought sacrifices to the tabernacle, to the temple, part of, there was times that they would pour out wine as an offering unto God. But the scripture is also very clear that being drunk is a sin. I didn't hear one amen. And it's a sin that leads to more sin. There are numerous warnings giving, given to us the dangers of alcoholic drinks. And I'm not telling you the Bible says you can't drink, but you need to listen to the warnings that come from the Scripture. And I've got a few of them. I put them list in the notes. They're going to be on the screen. Real quickly, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Solomon says in the 23rd chapter, in the 19th verse, Hear, my son, and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards, among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of the mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. I won't ask anybody to raise your hand if you've ever been on top of the mast (laughs) and saying what happened. I think I'll have another drink. Isaiah five eleven, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. Romans thirteen thirteen, let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a list of people who will not make it into heaven. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor used car salesmen <laughs> will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5:18 says, "And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." There are a couple more uh, verses in the Old Testament that, that kind of agree with Moses being drunk and naked. Lamentations 4:21 says, "Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz." But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself. Habakkuk 2.15 Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Again, I won't ask anybody to raise hands or say anything, but how many stupid things have people done when they're drunk? Later in Genesis, we're going to read the tragic story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember how Abraham prays, and God's not going to destroy the city if you can find ten righteous, but he can't find ten. All he can find is, is Lot and his two daughters and Lot's wife. And the angel is taking Lot and his family out, and his wife turns around and looks back and sees the fire and turns to a pillar of salt. Remember the rest of that story? Lot's of daughters want the family line to go on, and so what they do, they get their dad drunk and seduce him into incestuous relationships so that they'd have children. And then life gets really messy for those lines as well. Noah was passed out drunk naked. So why in the world is that story in the Bible? Why wouldn't the biographer leave out The bad nasties that this man had, the man that was righteous, so righteous he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We are being warned that anyone can fall into sin. We are being warned that anyone can fall in sin. No one is beyond temptation. Jesus was tempted. We will be tempted. We Remember earlier in this series of lessons, we quoted what Peter wrote about Noah. He said he was a preacher of righteousness. He stood against the tide of sin and godlessness. He was devoted to doing God's purpose and only God's purpose before the flood. But after the flood, after great-grandchildren were born, or grandchildren, great-grandchildren, somehow he let down his guard. Noah relaxed his vigilance to please God. He relaxed his vigilance to please God. Oh, how many men and women have fallen into the same trap over the centuries. They started out so well, but did not finish well. I don't know how it went with Noah. Whether we read it as this is a one-time anomaly that happened to the giant, this giant of faith, or if it was the result of just a little indulging as he's creating his wine recipe, and every day it just seemed like another taste, and another taste, and another taste until he lost control of it. We don't know that. But he ended up in the position described by a Japanese proverb. And this proverb reads this way. It's on the screen. It's not in your notes. First the man takes a drink. Then the drink takes a drink. And then the drink takes the man. And you know what? That's the same thing that happens with any sin that we get involved in. Today, it's just alcohol happens to be the... But any sin... First, they'll take a bite, then the bite takes the bite, and then the bite takes the man. However, you want to look at it. I don't know if that's Noah's experience, but I've seen it happen over and over in the world we live in. We are all susceptible to sin. It might not be drunkenness, it might not be drug addiction, it might not be pornography, but we all have weaknesses. Where well, we are vulnerable to the temptation of the enemy to quit living in total obedience to the Father. Noah's fall reminds us that the flood did not purge the world of wickedness. Noah's fall reminds us the flood did not purge the world of If God was trying to get rid of sin totally, there would have been no ark. Noah and his family would not have been on it. He would have just started completely over. But why couldn't God start completely over? It's because he made a promise to Eve Your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. So, though Noah is by, he's got imputed righteousness because of his faith, he was still a man with sin in his heart. And had to, be, had to live in, in victory over that. But we find this point, he succumbed. God preserved sinful man on the ark because he was going to keep his promise that one day, one day, there'd be a, a Messiah would come and change everything. Anyone can fall. Anyone can fall. Paul warned. Take heed, take heed lest you fall. Take heed. The Apostle Paul, I mean, he was one of the most radically saved people that you ever read about in in history. I mean, what an encounter he had with Jesus Christ. He was so transformed by his encounter with Jesus Christ that he was willing to go anywhere that the Lord led him, preach the gospel in spite of being beaten with rods by by the Jews three times, in spite of the fact that one day the crowd that didn't like him took him outside the city and buried him with rocks, thinking that they had killed him by stoning him to death. Shipwrecked. Times he didn't have food. Times he didn't have clothes, he said. I mean, the, the list of things that he endured. But he did it with joy. Because he was serving the Lord. But he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 9. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul, really? Do you think possible for you to be Disqualified? He said, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest I be disqualified. Moses. Moses was one of the greatest leaders that the world has ever seen. I mean, God anointed him to bring a couple million, maybe three million Israeli people out of Egypt. God used him to do miraculous things, open the Red Sea, Bring water out of the rock. Oh, that's what got him in trouble the second time, though. God said, Moses, I want you to lead the people and I want you to take them into the promised land. Did Moses get into the promised land? Why not? Because the second time they ran out of water and God said to him, go speak to the rock. And Moses was upset at these murmuring and complaining people. Can't blame him, can you? Murmuring and complaining people. And instead of speaking to the rock like God told him to, because the first time they got wild, God told him to smite the rock and a river came out. This time, he must I do this again? Taking glory for himself. And God said, Moses, because you dishonored me at that moment, you're not going to go into the promised land. I'm not telling you, you to go to heaven, but he did not obtain everything that God had made available for him. We know he went to heaven because when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah come down and, and converse with him. But he lost, he lost part of his inheritance here on earth. When David was a young man he had a heart after God. But when he got mature in his 50's so scholars say one day he decided I'm not going to go to war like kings go to war I'm just going to hang out at home. You remember that's when he made the mistake of looking into the neighbor's yard and kept looking and kept looking until he beckons the neighbor's wife to come and have a one night stand she ends up pregnant he ends up having her husband eliminated because he wouldn't go have a conjugal visit with his wife God forgave him but the consequences for his family Devastating. And those consequences went on and on and on. His children killing one another, raping one another. It was an ugly scene. A result of his sin. Solomon, when he started out, Lord, I need wisdom. God gave him wisdom, God gave him riches, God gave him power, God gave him everything because he asked for wisdom. And the wisest man became stupid and went looking for satisfaction someplace else in his old age. Be careful. Anyone can fall. This story reminds us we all do sin. We all do sin. The story of drunk, Noah's drunk and naked does right, story what Paul wrote in Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have sinned, aside, turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are totally dependent on the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome temptation and our flesh. The Lord told Paul to write that there's no temptation that will come upon you, which is such as common to man. But God will provide a way out. I am dependent upon the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. To help you overcome those temptations and find the way out when they come. Because we will be tempted. Because we have an enemy. Who wants to steal our joy, wants to steal our salvation as it were. So, the story is in the scripture to remind us we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. Remember, We could be like the Apostle Peter when he's in the upper room with Jesus. We've all had, or most of us have had some kind of spiritual experience and one day I'm going to serve Jesus all the days of my life. I'll never turn back. Remember he said to Jesus, when Jesus said, you're all going to turn away from me tonight. No, 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 never. I'll die for you. I'll die for you. Jesus said, no, three times before the rooster crows but I'm praying for you. And when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. Peter learned that night that he was totally dependent upon the grace and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote later on in his epistle, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Submit. Submit to the Lord. We do not sin to ourselves. And what I mean by that is some people say, it's my life. Whatever I do, it's my own business. I'm not hurting anyone else. Did you know that's a lie of the enemy? That's a when we disobey God's word, there's consequences for us and the people around us. Noah's sin of drunkenness led to one of his sons getting swallowed up in sin. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the naked of his father and told his two brothers outside. Ham disrespected his father. We have no details to this part of the story. We don't know why he bothered to be entering his father's tent. We don't know if he'd been watching his father drink this wine and was concerned about him. We don't know if he asked permission to enter the tent and there was no response and so he just opened the flap and went in. What we do know is that he saw his father laying there totally naked and for some reason he found it funny. And instead of being embarrassed by what he saw, he thought it would be a good thing for his brothers to see the same thing so that they could make fun of their father. Now we know that God's intention for the family is children, honor your father and mother. The first command with a promise that it might go well with you and that you have a long life. Instead of covering his father's sin, Ham endeavored to expose it more. What I want you to see is Noah's sin led to Ham's sin. Because Noah got drunk, threw away his clothes, passed out. His son saw him and instead of doing the righteous thing, He compounded the sin by sinning himself. If Noah had not been wasted, that story wouldn't be in the Bible. Romans 14 says this, this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. The context of Romans chapter 14, Paul is talking to people about the food they ate and the days that they keep holy, because the Gentiles and the Jews have been coming into the church and they all have different opinions as which days are holy and which food is holy, which food's kosher and which food's not kosher. He said they have respect for each other. No one of us lives to himself. Our choices affect other people for good or for evil. Verse 23, then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward. They did not see their father's nakedness. Shem and Japheth chose to cover their dad. Instead of joining Ham and laughing at their dad and going to see this humiliating sight of him, they chose to show love and respect to their father by doing what Proverbs 10:12 says. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers. But you don't know what they did. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Peter wrote in his letter 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. What God wanted us to know about this moment in Noah's life, where he'd failed to live out his righteousness, was how his sons handled the situation. Ham handled it absolutely wrong. Shem and Japheth took a garment I don't know, maybe it was the garment that Ham brought out and said, look what dad's clothes here. Maybe they took this, and, but they put it on the shoulders and they walked backwards past the mat he was laying on, the bed he was laying on, whatever. And then they dropped it on their father. Moses said they made sure they did not see their father's nakedness. Proverbs 17, 9 said this, whoever covers an offense seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends proverbs 12:16 a fool's wrath is presently known but a prudent man covereth shame here's the thing about love or a few things about love love does not cleanse sin it doesn't cleanse sin only the blood of jesus can cleanse sin first john chapter 1 verse 7 If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Love does not cleanse sin, nor does love condone sin. Love does not condone sin. Love wants God's very best for everyone. Love covers instead of going around and broadcasting someone's sinful acts and sinful nature. If we see someone doing what is sin, what is the proper response? What is the biblical response? Get on Facebook and tell everybody. No. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And don't miss this part. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Any of us could be in a place like Noah was it? Momentarily out of the will of God. Momentarily caught up in an act of sin. So be on guard always. Paul wrote in one of his letters, walk circumspectly. King James. In other words, make sure that you're looking where you're walking. All the older people understand that better than the younger people. Amen? Seems like it's much easier to trip when you're old. Walk circumspectly be careful be careful make sure you've dealt with the plank in your eye before you go take a speck out of somebody else's one more thing about covering the sins remember what God did for Adam and Eve before he exiled them from the garden remember when they suddenly knew that they were naked after they ate that fruit Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Garments of skin and clothed them. Shem and Japheth now clothed their father. They made sure to cover him. In Ham and then Shem and Japheth, we see two groups of people who make up the population of the world today. One group of people who are cursed because their sins lay uncovered. The second group of people are those a psalmist wrote about in Psalms 32.1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Do you know that your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. You stand guiltless in his presence, not because that you've been guiltless, but because you've applied the blood by faith. You've confessed your sins, and he's washed you. Number four, Noah prophesied. He had a bad moment, but it wasn't the end. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he prophesied. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now we're missing part of the story. We don't know who told. But he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. These are the only recorded words of Noah that we have in the Scripture. And they seem to be in response to the message he received about what Ham had done in ridiculing him while he was passed out from wine. His first recorded, his only recorded words are prophecy. Noah cursed Ham's son Canaan Noah declared Canaan Ham's youngest son will be the servants to his brothers as why Canaan was cursed instead of Ham is a mystery that many scholars have created many explanations for I read too many for me to list to today this past week and I can't tell you which one may be correct What I can tell you this is that Canaan and his offspring, most of them inhabited the land that became Israel. It was the land of Canaan that God told Abram to go to and I'll give you this land. The Canaanites became the enemies of the family of Shem. Abram was born of Shem's line. And God gave that land and he said, when you go in there, I want you to totally wipe out the Canaanites. Wipe them out. Why would they do that? Well, if you read Leviticus 18, God is telling the Israelites, you don't do these things, things that the Canaanite people were doing sexual immorality in every form, idol worship, the sacrificing of their children to their man-made gods. Perhaps God has now cursed Canaan because God knows the future. Some believe that Canaan was already showing Ham two or three times over, a sinful nature. But whatever... God in his sovereignty spoke these words against Canaan. You'll be a servant to Shem and to Jephthah, these other brothers. Noah blessed the Lord when he spoke of Shem. He blessed the Lord when he spoke. Bless me, the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be a servant. Now, whether Noah realized it or not, seems to me the Lord filled his mouth with a prophetic word regarding God's covenant of redemption that he made with Adam and Eve. Then again with Noah, then Abraham, and finally fulfilled in Jesus the righteous one. It was to Shem's family, as I said a moment ago, that Abraham was born. It was to Abraham that God said, I will make you the father of a great nation. And it was from Abraham's family tree that Jesus was born and created and sealed the new and final covenant. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Because through Shem's family, God was going to reveal himself to the whole world. Remember, God said to Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless the whole world the Gentiles, all the nations will come in because God will reveal Himself. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But if you back up two verses, it says this, But to all who receive Him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. To all, whether you be Greek, Jew, or any other kind of Gentile that you want to talk about, male or female, bond, servant, or free, all who receive him become the children of God. Canaan was cursed as a result of Ham's sin. When the Israelites centuries later crossed the Jordan River to go into the land of Canaan and claim their inheritance, by God's command, they were to eliminate the Canaanite people. Remember the first city? What was the name of the city? It was Jericho. God said, I, that city belongs to me, everything in it. Don't take anything out of it. Kill everybody. Burn everything. Don't take anything. Except. Except Rahab, the harlot, who hid the two spies that Joshua had sent in. And the only thing she wanted for protecting them is, save me and my family. That red scarlet cord out the window. They were commanded bring her and her family out. The rest of the story, that Canaanite woman that had been cursed back in Ham's day, God extended to her grace, such incredible grace. That when you read Matthew the first chapter and you start talking about Abraham begat and they begat and they begat and they begat these men down to the line to Jesus in the middle of that line there's four women and Rahab the Gentile is one of them. God can break the chain of the curse from sin By His grace, she became a great, 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 great grandmother to Jesus because of God's grace. The story of grace is found all through the Bible. All through the Bible. I thank God for His grace today. In New York, there's an airport named LaGuardia, named after the mayor LaGuardia. Back in the 1930s, he was called the Little Flower. He was a short man. One thing I read said he was five foot. Another one said he's five two. Somebody else gave him two more inches and said he's five four. But Whether it's 5'4 or 5 foot, when you're a man, that's not very tall. They called him a little flower, because he always wore carnation in his lapel. They say that he was a very colorful fellow. He would ride the New York City fire trucks, he would raid the speakeasies with the police department, he would take a whole orphanage to the baseball games, and whenever the New York newspapers were on strike. He would go on the radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. My kind of mayor. On a bitterly cold night in January 1935, the mayor turned up at a night court in an area that served one of the poorest wards in the city. LaGuardia, as the mayor, dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought in and charged with stealing. She had stolen a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia, My daughter's husband deserted her, and my daughter's sick, and she has two children, and we're all starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished to teach others around here a lesson. Laguardia sighed, turned to woman, and said, I have to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But as he was pronouncing the sentence, he was reaching into his pocket and he extracted a bill and tossed it into his hat saying, here's the $10 fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so their grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread on behalf of her grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. (laughs) While some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, New York policemen, each of them just paid the 50 cents and gave the mayor a standing ovation. Here's my question. Did the elderly lady in the story get what she deserved? Clearly, the answer is of course not. She'd stolen bread. Yes, she may have had a reason, but stealing is stealing, regardless of the reason. Punishment would seem to be the order of the day, but that's what you call grace when someone is giving something they did not work for nor deserve mayor laguardia rather than demanded punishment of the woman herself paid the fine then further helped her cause with a collection of 50 cents fine and gave the money to her it was more than she deserved it was grace romans 5:8 says this But God shows His love for us. While we were still sinners, guilty as could be, deserving punishment, Christ died for us. That God might forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Have you received the grace of God? Have you embraced that grace? If not, why not do it the same? Would you stand with me as we sing together Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.